You're listening to Along the Narrow Way, a podcast that walks you through books of the Bible verse by verse to help you dig into God's Word so you can walk along the narrow way with Christ more faithfully. Hosted by Pastor Will Russell and co-hosted by Jimmy Miller. Join them as they help us understand the Bible so we can walk more faithfully as disciples of Jesus. So, we have seen God established with Mary. You're going to have a baby. He's going to be called Jesus. He's going to save people from their sin. He's going to be called the Son of God because God's power is going to form this baby within your womb. Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. It's confirmation to Mary that, yes, God can do the impossible. This is going to work out. Now, chronologically, I think at this point you have to jump over to Matthew chapter 1. So I'm going to jump over to Matthew chapter 1 right quick. In verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. So Mary's gotten word. Here's what God's doing. He's getting ready to bring forth a shoot from the, the line of Jesse right. to raise up the one who will sit on the throne of David. He's, he's getting ready to bring the Savior, the promised Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. Mary knows. She's gone to Elizabeth. Elizabeth knows. The problem is Mary spent probably around three months up there with Elizabeth in Judea. And I have a feeling, the Bible doesn't say this, but I have a feeling when she came back Joseph had noticed some differences about her. I would say so. <laughs> and he's trying to piece it together. Now, wait a minute. This is my girl here. Yeah. And we're betrothed. Yet, I had, never, I had never been with this girl, Mary, but she's carrying a baby. Something's not right here. <laughs> and so, Joseph carrying out his right according to the Mosaic law, was minded to put her away, that is, break the engagement. But he wanted to do it privately. He didn't want to make a public example out of her. And in fact, according to the law, she could have been put to death. She could have been stoned if he wanted to push it that way. But he was a just man. He didn't want anything like that. I'm sure he was hurt if I, if I am trying to put myself in his place, probably disillusioned. Not understanding, but God sends an angel to speak to Joseph. It says he spoke to him in a dream and explained that everything that was happening was happening according to God's design for God's purpose, that the Holy Spirit of God had caused the pregnancy, had formed the baby, and that this was a special baby. 
And once again, we see it said right here in verse 21. She'll bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sin. Right from the beginning, the purpose and the mission of Jesus was made clear. Yeah. Right from the beginning. Before he even comes into the world, it's being stated time and again, he's coming to save people from sin. Time and again, that's stated. And so the, the angel explains to Joseph what's happening. It does mention in our text, this was done to fulfill what the prophet said. Behold, a virgin um, shall bear a child. They shall call his name Emmanuel. That refers to Isaiah. Yes, right there. He's saying, pronouncing God's going to be right here. With That's right. In the flesh. That's right. Already being told. Isaiah 1, 26 and 9, 6 is the reference there. And it's fulfilling what God has spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And you get, you get the full explanation that this is God in human form, God with us. Joseph understood what was happening. And so he followed God's instructions completely and perfectly. And so now we have the groundwork laid. Mary's been informed. She's been encouraged by Elizabeth. Joseph now knows the full story and what's happening. And the story picks up. It picks up, though, back in Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, right there in verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census took place while Cornelius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Okay, so now we have Joseph loading Mary up and traveling to Bethlehem. The, the Roman emperor has declared a census. The Roman government wants to make sure they get all the taxes they can get. They need to know exactly how many people are everywhere. They want to take a, a count of the folks. So there's a census called. Joseph has to go to Bethlehem. He's of the lineage of David. Bethlehem is the city of David, and so that's where they go. Now, the Bible said here, there is no room for them in the inn. When you look at that word inn, it has multiple meanings. You'll have to take it upon yourself to figure out which meaning you like this word to take for this text, it can mean a place of public lodging with multiple rooms. It can also mean an additional room on a house for extended family to stay in. And in the context, you can use both. It could be that there was a place of public lodging in Bethlehem and it was completely full. It could be that the home of extended family that they had in Bethlehem, even with the additional room for relatives, was completely full. Bethlehem was swollen full of people. I don't know if it was a place of public lodging or an extended family room, but what I do know is very clear. It was full and there was no room for them in there. They had no place to stay. They had no space to play. And by the way, inns, um, 
it's, it, they weren't all the same, but it was very common. A public inn, a lot of times, would be a main building area and then little kind of tiny rooms all lined up kind of outside. Kind of looks like a giant doghouse is what it reminds me of, just a flat with room, room, room. But anyway, they're just an interesting tidbit there. So there's no room for them anywhere, yet it says here her days were completed, that she should be delivered. So she brings forth, she gives birth. Jesus is born while they're there in Bethlehem. And of course, the Bible says, Mary wrapped him in swaddling cloths. That's just soft, soft strips of cloth. It's like a baby blanket is what that is. And laid him in a manger. Of course, we know a manger to be a food trough. Now, it's interesting to point out, Jimmy, nowhere in this passage did it say Jesus was born in a stable. No. Never uses the word stable, but in every nativity we set up, we set up a little wooden stable. Mm -hmm. It just simply says they laid him in a manger. That's right. They found a food trough to lay him in. Now, was that manger inside a stable? Likely it was. Maybe. Likely it was, but the Bible doesn't use the word stable. Did that stable have walls and stuff like that? Maybe just had a roof. Maybe just had a roof. <laughs> a lot of times, stable areas were hollowed out areas inside of a hill. In oh, that area, okay. kind of hollowed out cave type areas right. with a corral type thing in front. There's a lot of different possibilities. The point being is this. The king of all creation, when he was born, didn't even have a place to be born into. Right. Didn't even have a good roof over his head. Was laid in a food trough. You know, that's, here's the king of all glory coming in such humble means, in such humble way. Emmanuel, God in the flesh. God in the flesh wrapped in a baby blanket, laid in a food trough. So he's laid in a manger. The next thing we see picks up with verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born unto you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. So then you have shepherds come to visit. They're out in Bethlehem, keeping watch over the flock by night. Bethlehem is uh, relatively close to Jerusalem by our standards. Um, there had been a decree that had been issued that any sheep found between Bethlehem and Jerusalem were sheep that could be used for sacrifice. So a lot of people say these shepherds were the shepherds watching over the sacrificial lambs. No way to prove that. That's speculation. But it could have been. Because any, any lamb between Bethlehem and Jerusalem was considered 
open for sacrifice there at the temple in Jerusalem. So you have these shepherds keeping watch over these flocks. And here comes an angel. And with the appearing of the angel, the glory of God. Glory. Now, here's an interesting thing to think about. In the Old Testament, you have glimpses of God's glory. Yes. For example, when the people in Israel are coming out of Egypt, they need to be led through the wilderness. That's right. So the glory of God in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night leads them. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and doesn't get to see God directly, but indirectly is in the presence of God's glory and comes out with his face so bright he has to cover his face when that happens. You have these episodes throughout the Old Testament of the glory of God appearing. But you move through the time of the kings where there's such rebellion against God and God's people are carried off into captivity and even when they return from captivity and you have a lot of the writing of the various prophets, you never see another mention of God's glory appearing again until this moment. Yeah. So throughout hundreds of years, so it's 400 years of silence between the Testaments, God hasn't spoken. The glory of God's not been experienced. Yet on this night, when Christ is born, all of a sudden, the glory of God reappears upon the earth. You know, I, I'm going to get in the weeds just a little bit. All right. I, I think that's what the star was. Yeah. I, I mean, you've seen the ultimate glory. I mean, they, this, was the, this was when Christ was born, the glory of God shone. But the star was there. Mm -hmm. and a lot of people say, well, it was this and that. They're trying, over the years, have tried to discern what that might look like. And what that mm -hmm. was. I honestly think it was the glory of God because it moved. Mm -hmm. And it fought, and people, and just like the pillar of fire in the cloud, it moved with mm -hmm. it. I think it was the glory of God they were seeing. It could be. We're gonna, well, we'll get to that in just a minute. I'm so. going too far ahead. No, <laughs> y'all, you're going in the right direction. Just put the pause on that I'll one for a minute. Put a pig in it. There you go. So the shepherds uh, were fearful there in the glory of the Lord, but the angel reassures them and says, look, I'm bringing you some glad tidings. I'm bringing you some good news, and it's going to result in some great joy because there is born unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. They hear the word Christ is used. That is the same as the Hebrew word Messiah, the long-awaited Savior, the, the deliverer, the one that uh, the consolation of Israel that faithful Jews had looked for. He's announced. He's here. He's the Savior. And the shepherds react. They say, let's go see this, man. Let's go. And so they go into Bethlehem and they find Mary and Joseph. They find the babe, Jesus, there, just like the angel said. And they began to explain what had been said to them and what they had witnessed. And they began to make widely known to people what had happened. And people marveled at what they said. Mary pondered these things in her heart, held on to them. Other people marveled. They wondered about them. They pondered them too, but probably not in the same way Mary did. It's interesting too there with the glory of God appearing and the, the proclamation that the Savior had been born. It says that suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men. I don't know. The Bible doesn't describe it this way, but I like in my mind to picture that as the very first Christmas carol ever sung right there. Amen. An angel choir on the very night Christ was born, breaking forth in this song, glory to God in the highest. 
I really think that was probably a pretty remarkable thing to experience. It was a peaceful night. Yeah. One of the, probably the most peaceful night since ever. Probably right? so. You know, and it, in my translation was peace on, among those with whom he is pleased. There you go. So there wasn't a lot of people that didn't have a lot of peace, maybe. Mm-hmm. But the ones who noticed, there was a lot of peace going on. That's right. That's right. Well, the shepherds heard the good news and went and saw Jesus. They told other people what they had seen, and they returned to their fields. They returned to their flocks. They returned to their normal life, but they returned glorifying and praising God, worshiping. Their lives had been changed because of the news they had heard and the encounter they had had. That's all I'm going to say on that because this Sunday morning, this is the text we're preaching out of. So we're going to stop right there. I don't want to tip my hand. That's why you stopped me. That's right. (laughs) That's right. And actually, I'm going to use the ESV Sunday morning because I like it better for that text. Well, if we keep going in order, I think chronologically the next thing that happens, as the Bible describes it, is found in Luke chapter 2, verse 21. It says, and when eight days were completed for the circumcision of Christ, his name was called Jesus, or circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, when the days of our purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy before the Lord. And an offering and a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So Jesus wasn't actually named Jesus for eight days. And that was the custom of the Jews. That was what they did. Eight days after birth, a baby boy would be circumcised and then receive his name. And so although they knew his name, they had been given his name officially he was not called by his name, officially imparted with that name until eight days after his birth. And then we find that after the days of her purification, they took Jesus to present him at the temple according to the law of Moses. Now that would have probably been 41 days after Mary gave birth. That would have been the days of purification for a lady who gave birth to a son. The days of purification when you gave birth to a daughter were longer But anyway, approximately sometime 41 days thereafter, they would have presented Jesus at the temple and offer sacrifices to God to dedicate him to the Lord. Now, of course, we know, we didn't read it right here, but we know that while they're at the temple, they're going to run into a couple of people. They're going into a guy named Simeon. Now, Simeon's an interesting man because God had spoken to Simeon and told him, you will not die until you see the Christ. Would you consider Simeon a prophet? Well, he speaks prophetic words. Amen. <laughs> he, he speaks prophetic words. Amen. <laughs> so, I'll go with that. Um, Simeon, in, in our minds, we always picture as this ancient man. He's been around forever. He's old with a long beard. The Bible doesn't say how old he was. He, he could have been 20. He could have been 100. I don't know. Amen. All I know is that God told him, you're not going to die until you see the Christ. And when he saw Jesus, he knew immediately. He knew immediately, here is the Messiah. This is the Messiah. The Spirit came upon him in the temple. And Simeon prophesies about Jesus. Simeon said this, Lord, 
Now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. So Simeon is even predicting ahead of time that the gospel is going to be brought to the Gentiles. Here, from the very beginning, from the very beginning, it's been mentioned, Jesus is coming to save people. And now we get word that not only is it for the Jewish people, but to bring light to the Gentiles. I mean, we have a full unfolding, a full unfolding. He goes on to say, this is uh, verse 34, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary's mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And so he's speaking again about the crucifixion of Jesus there. That there's going to come a point where the mother of Jesus is going to be pierced through. Her heart's going to be broke when she sees what's happening to her son. He's speaking prophetically. There's also a person in the temple, Anna. Now we know a little more about Anna. Anna had been in the temple for a long time. She just stayed in the temple. Um, She kind of lived there, basically. I mean, she just resided there. And she was waiting for the consolation of Israel. She was a prophetess, the Bible says. She saw Jesus and she knew right away, this is the Messiah. This is the chosen one. And she began to break out with thanksgiving and praise. She... um, spoke about the redemption of Israel. She recognized that this wasn't just a leader for Israel. It was one to bring redemption into Israel. And so you have this pretty remarkable interaction with the family. You know, that's amazing to me. You know, a lot of people wonder what happened to the people in the Old Testament and prophets, if they were saved or not. Well, right here tells you. Mm -hmm. They could see this. They could see Jesus coming. And and when when they, you know, they knew it when they seen him. Mm-hmm. They, they've been waiting for him the whole time. Right. And they knew he was coming. They already had put their faith into him. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's Well, there, the, the, you have those in the Old Testament, and then you have those here in the beginning of the New Testament, yes. before the ministry of Christ begins, who the Bible talks about being faithful to God, waiting for the consolation of Israel. That is, waiting for faithfully for the Messiah, yes. looking for him, and believing he's coming. That's right. It's faith in who is coming. Whereas we've had faith in who has come. That's right. So, well, chronologically, I think now we jump to Matthew chapter 2. And in Matthew chapter 2, beginning of verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So you have the wise man, the magi, coming to worship Jesus. Now, the Bible in this text, uh, verses 1 through 12, where it talks about uh, these wise men, it never once gives the number of wise men. It just says men, M-E-N, plural. Two or more came. It could have been two could have been 20. We don't know how many wise men there were. Um, we know they gave three gifts, mm-hmm. but we don't know how many wise men necessarily there were. Um, the Bible doesn't speak to this, 
but in my imagination, I picture these very wealthy, prominent men, and I don't see any wealthy, prominent person in this day and age when this was happening traveling without bodyguards of some sort, servants of some sort, an entourage of some sort. In my mind, I imagine they had their camels and all their servants, and this was kind of a parade coming into town when they came into an area. You know, I, I kind of imagine it like that too. Like They all brought them in, and maybe they all went to the stable or not. I, I kind of imagine that maybe they stayed with the stuff, and maybe just those three wise men went. Well... That's why you just see through. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, maybe yep. they all came. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know. Another interesting thing when we talk about the wise men is that it's, it seems to be more evident that they arrived somewhere between 40 days and two years after the birth of Jesus. Oh, yes. If you try to put things in perspective according to what Herod did based on what they had said, you look into some wording that is used in the scriptures. Um, let me skip over here and I'll just, I'll just read it. Um, let's see here. Verse 10, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, yes. when they had come into the house, yes. they saw the Young child. Yes. So they're already living. So uh, the text makes it seem like he's no longer a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths laid in a manger, but is a tad older in a home with his family. And then Herod had to summon him to, to ascertain what time the star appeared, and he went as far as killing the children two years. That's right. So if you consider that Herod... His act of killing the children, he said two years and below, and he based that on what the wise men had said. That's why some people say, well, Jesus could have been as old as two years before they showed up. There's no way to know. I wonder how long they looked for him. Well, the star was there. Well, probably not long. Here's another interesting thing. They saw the star appear. I didn't read this full text. I want you all to go back and read this text when you get a chance. The star appears... They recognize the star as the sign of the birth of the king of the Jews. They travel to Jerusalem, not Bethlehem. Ah, that's true. They travel to Jerusalem. Now, why would you go to Jerusalem? Well, because Jerusalem is the center of Jewish existence. Jerusalem is the center of, of Israel's functioning, right? So if you're the king, where are you going to be? In Jerusalem. The star appeared. They recognized what the star meant. They traveled to Jerusalem. But did you, did you hear what it said? After they talk, after they talk with Herod, verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. The star reappeared, I think. I think they saw the star. They recognized what it went. They traveled to Jerusalem. They say, hey, Herod, we're looking for the king of the Jews. He's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I'm the king around here. What are you talking about? No, we saw the star appear. We know what it means. The king of the Jews has been born. Herod calls in the scribes. I need to know about this. The scribes pull out, pull out the scrolls, the Old Testament. They go through them. One of the scribes comes across the right passage. Um, and is it Micah? Micah or Malachi? I've, gone, I've, gone conf- I've gotten confused. Someone's got to straighten me out on that. I don't remember which one. Micah or Malachi 5.2, I believe is where it says that it's Bethlehem. Micah. Micah. Micah 5.2. And so 
one of the scribes says, hey, Herod, it says right here it'll be Bethlehem. He's to be born in Bethlehem. And so Herod's like, okay, guys, Bethlehem. You're going to have to travel on down the road a piece, but that's okay. Listen, you find this king, and I sure would appreciate it if you'd let me know where he's at, because I'd like to go and, well, I'd like to pay homage to him myself. And so the wise men depart. It says the star appeared, they rejoiced greatly, and they followed the star to where the child was. The scripture says at that point, they followed the star to where the child was. They entered the house where the small child was. They worshiped him. They presented their gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So they present these costly gifts to Jesus. But then God warns them that Herod has evil intentions. They need to go home some different way, but don't run into Herod. And so that's what they did. They departed a different way. They avoided Herod and they leave. Now, things are going to get a little tense now. If you pick up a verse 13, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When it, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And they were there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, out of Egypt, I call my son. And so here's Joseph. The Lord spoke to him once and said, look, don't freak out. This thing that's happening with Mary, I've planned it. I'm doing it. She's going to give birth to the Messiah, call him Jesus. He's going to save his people. Everything is kind of unfolded the way God intended. Everything's been fine. Then all of a sudden, Joseph is warned in another dream. The Lord speaks to him, hey, Joseph, you're going to have to get out of here. Herod is going to seek to destroy the child. He got word that this son of God, this Messiah, the Emmanuel, who God sent, is now in danger. And God tells him to get out of town. And so Joseph loads up Jesus and Mary. And in the middle of the night, they head to Egypt. And they stayed in Egypt until Herod's death. If you look into the history of that, it's not particularly clear. Somewhere between a year to two years, they had to stay in Egypt. And God said, you're going to stay there till I call my son out of Egypt. Now, Hosea 11.1 1 said he would do that. That's the prophecy he's speaking of there. So it's interesting, though, that the funding they needed to move to another country and to live in another country had already been provided Amen. because these wise men had given them these gifts they needed that funded all of that. So they were taken care of financially. The next thing you move into, you continue in verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem in all the districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So Herod does send his forces into Bethlehem in the surrounding areas, and they do kill every male child two years and younger based off what 
he had heard from the wise men. Jesus is safely in Egypt. He's not even close. The words that Jeremiah had spoken in Jeremiah 31, 15 come to be. And it's such a sad, sad thing. But Jesus is safe. And that's where they stay. And then you come to verse 19 there. I won't read it. But there in verse 19, Herod dies. God tells Joseph it's okay to come home. They start to come home. They return to Israel, but there's a problem because Herod's son, Archelaus, is now in charge. Well, he's just as big a lunatic as Herod, and they're afraid of him. So God tells Joseph not to go back to Bethlehem, but to go into Galilee and settle in a town called Nazareth. Therefore, we read about Jesus of Nazareth because that's where they moved to after they came back from Egypt. Now, a lot of, a lot of people tie that to um, what was said in Isaiah 11, Jeremiah 23, and Zechariah 3.8. There's a Hebrew word, nesser, or netster, which means rod or branch, that some people link into Nazareth. And so they talk about him moving back to Nazareth fulfilled prophecy as well. And you'll see that sometimes in things you read about the birth of Christ. Um, so they return to, to Nazareth where they establish their home. And of course, that's where Jesus is going to grow up. And that's where he's going to be until he turns 30 and it's time for him to begin his earthly ministry. You know, a lot of people wonder what Jesus was doing before he started his earthly ministry. Well, the first two years of his life, he was, he was, they were trying to kill him, so his parents were trying to keep him safe. Mm -hmm. And I say the rest of that, he was learning that trade from his dad working in that shop because I think some of that money they probably used to start that business. With. Well, it very well could have been. I know his dad had a business because he was a well-known carpenter. Very well could have been. And, you know, um, Jesus as a child, you don't get any reference to him other than one instance where his family has gone in Jerusalem to the temple. They're on their way home and he's missing and he's back at the temple. Oh, yes. And that too, he's teaching. Yeah. yeah and so he's, he's, he's intent on being about the father's business, even at a young age. So. And he submitted to his parents. So he's doing chores work. That's what mm -hmm. he's doing. He's living a family life. Mm -hmm. I think so. You know, I think so. Stuff like that. Mm -hmm. sure. Well, we're, we're pretty much at our time, but I made a list of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. I made a list of 13 prophecies <laughs> spoken of in the Old Testament that were fulfilled just by the birth of Jesus. Amen. God had planned this and orchestrated it the whole way through. Amen. He's sovereign, completely in control the whole way through. And so there you have the birth of Jesus kind of just the facts of the matter. So some of those things are debatable. Was Jesus still in the manger when the wise men came? Was he in the house? Was, was he 40 days old? Was he two years old? It's debatable. It doesn't you know, matter really what age. They, that's right. The point is that he came. That's, that's right. That's right. That's right. There are, things that, there are things about this that you can debate. How many wise men were there? I don't know. How many shepherds came? I'm not sure. The reality is, though, don't let those things detract from the bigger picture. The reality that time and again, God made it clear, Jesus is being born to bring salvation. He is coming to be the redeemer. This is the purpose and the plan. And the redemptive plan of God began to unfold on that night. Amen. Culminated, not at the cross, I don't think, but at the tomb. Yeah. Maybe, maybe climax at the at the cross, but the culmination of redemption happened when he walked out of that tomb. That's right. 
So there you go. All right. Well, Jimmy, thank you very much for being a part of the broadcast tonight. I appreciate that. And we thank, thank all of you who tuned in with us and who listened. As always, uh, always be a part of that. We appreciate that. We invite you to be here in person at the church. We have a group that meets and uh, I'd like you to study in person with us when you can. It'd be a great thing. So we're going to sign off with y'all and have our prayer meeting here at the church. So thank you very much. You have been listening to Along the Narrow Way, hosted by Pastor Will Russell and co-hosted by Jimmy Miller. If you haven't done so, subscribe to the podcast so you can get updates on new episodes. Thank you for listening, and remember to stay faithful to walk along the narrow way with Jesus.